The Hamlet Podcast. Working through one of the other plays last week, it struck me that there might be one more verse-related topic to cover in this series of The Basics. The result is this episode, in which we will talk about rhyme. There are several places in Hamlet in which Shakespeare chooses, I think deliberately, to use rhyme. Some are obvious and even to be expected, like the numerous occasions when he will end a speech or a scene with a rhyming couplet. These are also known as heroic couplets and were quite standard in English literature, dating as far back as Chaucer. Indeed, much later in Shakespeare's career, he used the character of another poet, John Gower, to give an old-time rhyming feel to his play Pericles. A clear example of a heroic couplet in Hamlet is more relative than this, the play's the thing, wherein I'll catch the conscience of the king. Note too the terrific sound of catch the conscience of the king, all those repeated sounds really punctuating the line. These heroic couplets are almost part of Shakespeare's literary grammar. A rhymed couplet like that is a great way to end a scene, as there can be terrific motion to such an idea, and obviously this helps keep actors moving. It's a great way to end a speech or a soliloquy too. It's worth mentioning that a sonnet also ends very often with a rhyming couplet, a summation of or an answer to the various questions that have gone before. When we hear a rhyming couplet, it feels like a complete thought. Of course, they don't always end a scene. Sometimes it's just a neat button at the end of a speech, like the following. But I have that within which passeth show, these but the trappings and the suits of woe. So where else does rhyme appear within this play? It is a key feature of the murder of Gonzago. Interestingly, there's a difference between the different acting performances that we see in Hamlet. First up, we get the excerpt from the Trojan War featuring the rugged Pyrrhus and so on. It is not rhymed, but the murder of Gonzago is. The second performance happens in a very long stretch of rhyming couplets, although it feels like nothing if you compare it with A Midsummer Night's Dream, which rhymes almost constantly. In Elsinore, the effect is to make the play sound performative, to differentiate between the acting of the players and the real life of Hamlet and the other Danish audience members. As in various other stories that feature a play within the play, we get to enjoy the commentary of those watching it. The lady doth protest too much and so on. But the rhymes are not all as simple as they sound. When the murderer Lucianus tells us what he's up to, he speaks in rhyming couplets that trip over into 11 syllables per line. Thoughts black, hands apt, drugs fit, and time agreeing, confederate season, else no creature seeing, thou mixture rank of midnight weeds collected, with Hecate's ban thrice blasted, thrice infected, thy natural magic and dire property, on wholesome life usurp immediately. Shakespeare can't resist showing off that he can even make this old-fashioned verse sound exciting as he buckles against the constraints of the form. In fact, rhyme can be something of a constraint within the play. Rhyme can work as a kind of calm, of order. We somehow understand that when things rhyme, there's a control there. Take Hamlet's soliloquies. They only start to end with a rhyming couplet after he has the idea of trapping Claudius and finding out what he's done. But after to be or not to be, a huge existential crisis in blank verse, 
Ophelia wanders onto his path before he has a chance to resolve his ideas. The other ones all end with active, enthusiastic, even heroic couplets, growing in intensity until, from this time forth, my thoughts be bloody or be nothing worth. The big question is whether characters know they are speaking in rhyme. I suppose it's not unlike a question we often discuss in rehearsals for an opera. Do the characters know that they are singing? Or is music, or rhymed verse, just the language that they use? An example that springs to mind here is of Gertrude at the beginning of Act 4, Scene 5, just before Ophelia enters. She says, To my sick soul, as sin's true nature is, each toy seems prologue to some great amiss. So full of artless jealousy is guilt, it spills itself in fearing to be spilt. These are all legitimate concerns for Gertrude. There's no particular reason for her to rhyme here, unless perhaps she is herself grasping for control, since there is none to be had. For Shakespeare, it's also possible that he has her speak like this in order to prepare our ears for Ophelia, who is about to enter and perform a lot of rhyming songs. Gertrude's rhyming couplets are maybe there to tune our ears, to have us listening out for the rhymes in Ophelia's words. At the end of her song, she says, Quoth she, before you tumbled me, you promised me to wed. So what I had done by yonder son, and thou hadst not come to my bed. This could be just a little snippet of a folk song, but is anything in this play here by accident? There's the rhyme between son and son that Hamlet made at his very first appearance in the play, and now Ophelia is probably calling Hamlet that yonder son. We notice these things far more easily when we hear them, and it's worth mentioning that Shakespeare's was very much a theatre that relied on language and listening. So when there's a rhyme, there's probably something to be listening out for. As I was reading The Two Gentlemen of Verona for our book club a few weeks back, one particular exchange stood out for me. What, are you reasoning with yourself? Nay, I was rhyming. Tis you that have the reason. Two characters somewhere in Italy having a chat. Nothing much there. But the notion of rhyme and reason, a coupling that is such a standard phrase, got me wondering. If it's in this early play, and it's well known enough to have turned into a joke... Perhaps there might be something worth looking at in Hamlet. And by the way, I looked it up. Rhyme and reason have been linked since at least the 15th century. Through quite a lot of the play, Hamlet is pretending to be mad, to have lost his reason. And for a lot of that time, his method is to play with words and use rhymes to destabilise other people. The main victim of all of this is Polonius, of course, although Rosencrantz and Guildenstern come in for quite a lot of it too. Curiously, Ophelia gets what might be a sincere note from Hamlet, and it's also in rhyme. Doubt thou the stars are fire, doubt that the sun doth move, doubt truth to be a liar, but never doubt I love. At a more complicated level, and God knows if anyone would have noticed this, these rhymes are not written for Hamlet, but for Polonius to perform. He really has no business reading them, but he really is a rash, intruding fool, as we see. But Shakespeare might be having some fun here, since he's already made Polonius rhyme move and love. This must be known, which being kept close might move more grief to hide than hate to utter love. 
The history of poetry in English can certainly prove that there aren't too many words that rhyme with love, but nonetheless, even within so small a rhyme, Shakespeare has fun and hides the Elizabethan equivalent of an Easter egg. Back to the question of whether any of this rhyming is self-conscious, though. After the mousetrap, when all those heroic couplets beating out their persistent rhythm and making Claudius think that at least somebody knows what he did, the king stands up, enraged, and Polonius stands up and intervenes, instructing everybody to give o'er the play. Weirdly, Claudius then gets a line that seems to rhyme. It's all a big mess and should be staged as such, but it's telling that Claudius seems to try to get an exit here, a messed up, shortened, heroic couplet. Give o'er the play, said Polonius. Give me some light away. In the midst of the commotion, as everyone else tries to get lights, lights, lights and follow the king and be seen to be doing the right thing, Hamlet seems to talk to himself. Why, let the stricken deer go weep, the heart ungalled play, for some must watch while some must sleep, so runs the world away. And he too is rhyming. He picks up Claudius's away and rhymes with it, so runs the world away. Hamlet is delighted with himself, singing or quoting these little bits of things in his giddy glee at having been proved right. The implications are serious and they all follow, but in this moment he's exhilarated. The ghost was telling the truth, and he's not crazy for being very suspicious of Claudius. As he chats a little back and forth with Horatio, the other witness, he continues into another quotation. For thou dost know, O Damon dear, this realm dismantled was, of Jove himself, and now reigns here a very, very... Padjock. Here Hamlet subverts expectations. He could have said something very rude that could rhyme with was, or was, but instead he changes to Padjock. And Horatio picks up on this, saying, you might have rhymed. In this little moment, right here, we have a sense of Hamlet being aware that he is rhyming. But now that things are starting to emerge, and having already mocked Claudius's need for the order and control of a rhyming couplet, Hamlet, in rebellion, avoids it. Hamlet uses rhyme in such terrific ways, showing his extraordinary wit and his brain power. With the gravedigger, he manages skillfully to exchange funny ideas and jokes in prose, and he ponders the passage of time and the skull of his friend Yorick, and then, almost on the turn of a dime, he switches back from prose to verse, rhyming verse. Imperious Caesar, dead and turned to clay, might stop a hole to keep the wind away. Oh, that that earth which kept the world in awe should patch a wall to expel the winter flaw. The fun of this, and the cleverness of his linguistic ability, is there as a kind of dramatic bluff. Just as he's feeling good, and maybe even secure or in control via his couplets, the funeral cortege appears and the rug is pulled out from under him. We don't get much wordplay from Hamlet after he hears about Ophelia's death, but there is an amazing moment towards the end of the play wherein he rhymes almost in prose. As the duel with Laertes is being set up, Horatio tries to counsel Hamlet that if he's not comfortable, the whole thing can be called off. If your mind dislike anything, obey it. I will forestall their repair hither and say you are not fit. 
and Hamlet replies, picking up on it, hither and fit. Not a whit. He is prepared for whatever may come. His very next words are, we defy augury. And perhaps in his clear, level-headed, even peaceful reason, he has no more need for rhyme. It's fascinating that the little speech that follows is in prose. Not verse, and certainly not in rhyme. There's an immediacy. The readiness is all. At the end of the play, Fortinbras comes in and finds almost all of the Danish court dead on the ground. It is only natural that his final words include a rhyming couplet, as if to restore some order after all of this death, at the end of a scene that has had a huge number of broken lines, unfinished verses, and no rhyme at all. Take up the bodies. Such a sight as this becomes the field, but here shows much amiss. So there you have it. Rhyme seems to have a very particular reason in this play. Can you think of any other instances in which it springs to mind? Do let me know if you think of any, and I'll speak to you next time.